Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. It says, Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as, the, as this was made to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy Amen. Let's pray. God, we ask this afternoon, Lord, that as your word is being spoken and as we dive into your word, God, that we pray that you would speak to us. God, we pray that the word would be just more than information and, and something to add to our knowledge. But God, we pray that you would speak to us in such a way that you bring about conviction, change, and transformation. We pray that truly your, your word will pour into us life, God. So Lord, we ask now that you would open up our hearts, our ears, our eyes, our minds to you as we listen to what you desire to convey to us today. So, Father, we pray that your word is being spoken. May we all be edified, and may you alone be glorified. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let me start off by asking a question. What would you want to say to your fellow believers, knowing that your time here on earth is coming to an end soon? Maybe it's fellow church members. What would you want to share with them if you knew again that your time here on earth was coming to an end soon? Would it be words of love and gratitude? Maybe words of encouragement and exhortation? Or maybe it's words of complaints, like before I leave this earth, I'm going to share my peace before I head off into heaven. What would you want to say? if he knew that death was imminent. You know, what a solemn way to start off a Sunday message, right? But the letter of 2 Peter actually records the last words that the apostle Peter shares with fellow believers in Asia Minor prior to his death. And while apostle Peter is writing this letter, he knows that his death is coming soon. He writes in verse 15, he says, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, 
as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. He says here that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, meaning he knows again that he's going to die soon. And the fact that Apostle Peter mentions at the end, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, makes me think that maybe the Apostle Peter knows that his death is not going to come due to old age or sickness. Some believe that he is 70 years old, around the age of 70, late 60s at this time. But it makes me think, because of what he said there at the end of that verse, that he knows that his death is going to come by execution. You know, if you remember in John chapter 21, right, this is after Peter denies Jesus three times, and he goes off to do what he knows how to do best, which is fishing. Jesus comes to restore him. But not only does Jesus come to restore Peter, at the end of that passage, we see Jesus also mentioning to Peter how he's going to die. Let me read for you John 21, verses 18 to 19. This is what Jesus says to the apostle Peter. He says, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. And then in verse 19, uh, John says this. Now this he says, signifying by what kind of death he will be glorifying God. In church history has it that the apostle Peter was executed by crucifixion for his faith. And so the apostle Peter, knowing that his death was imminent, he writes this letter to the believers in Asia Minor. But before we get into the content of what the apostle Peter writes, why don't we look at the why? Why does a, a, the apostle Peter write this? What, why did Peter feel compelled to write this letter? What was his objective? What was his purpose? You know, reading through 2 Peter just a couple of times, I believe the purpose or objective that the Apostle Peter has writing this letter is to wake up the believers by reminding them of truths that have been spoken to them before. You see, Peter says in chapter 1, verse 13 of our passage, he writes this. He says, I consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to Stir you up by way of reminder. In the Greek, that word stir up can also be translated as to awaken, to wake you up. And that's what Apostle Peter is saying here in verse 13 of chapter 1. He says, it's only right for me to stir you up, to awaken you by way of reminder. Even in the last chapter of this letter, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 2, this is what Apostle Peter says. He says, this is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Again, oh, stirring you up, awakening you, awakening your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. See, Peter's not trying to share something that's new and something that's trendy. He's not trying to wow his recipients or the fellow believers he's writing to. Rather, his objective here is to awaken the believers by reminding them of the truths that have been spoken to them before. 
And I believe that the Apostle Peter feels compelled to remind them because, one, people are forgetful, right? We're forgetful. And number two, he's writing this because he wants to warn the believers about the false teachers and the false teachings, as we will see later. You know, I don't know about you, church, but reminders are super helpful to me because I can be forgetful. Let me give you some examples. I know when my wife's birthday is. I know when she was born, right? We celebrated uh, every year now since we were dating. We got married. I know when it is. But when the Google calendar, when my Google calendar reminds me, hey, Deb's birthday's coming up soon, it, it, it wakens me up, right? It kind of puts me in, in, in my mind that, okay, I need to plan something. I need to prepare something for that day. This applies to other people's uh, birthdays as well, like such as church members or, you know, the, the team leaders that oversee. You know, despite the fact that their birthday never changes, it's the same day every year since the day that they were born, I still need Google Calendar to remind me of when their birthday is so then what I can plan to say, I'm going to wish them a happy birthday, Right? Unless you're like my dad, my dad follows the lunar calendar, which I hate because every year I have to ask my mom, when is dad's birthday? And she doesn't know herself. She has to look at the lunar calendar, find out, okay, this is when your dad's birthday is. This is when we can celebrate it, right? Sometimes even when, you know, me and dad, we get into argument, we get into a fight. Um, if you're like me, I don't know, maybe you can relate, maybe, maybe you don't. Sometimes I forget. I forget why she was angry at me. I forget why, she, why we even fought at times, right? And one, one question I hate is when Deb says, okay, repeat, or not repeat, but uh, tell me once again, like, wh- why was I angry? And I kid you not, a lot of times I look at her, I'm like, I have no idea, right? And I tell her, right, because my pride is, I was like, why don't you just tell me? You tell me, you tell me, and I'm asking you to tell me because... I don't remember. I just don't know, right? So when she reminds me, I have this aha moment, right? And hopefully, I'll remember after the second, the third, or maybe the fourth or fifth time that she reminds me so I won't make that mistake again. Fingers crossed. Or maybe when we read Scripture, right? We read Scripture. God speak to, speaks to us. He reveals a message, a revelation to us. A couple of days go by, and we totally forget, what did God say to me again? What did God say to me in that passage? And what we do maybe sometimes is we kind of bypass it. We're like, okay, we'll just move on. And later on, when we read that passage again, God gives us a helpful reminder. This is what I've spoken to you. This is what I revealed to you. Then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. God has revealed to me at that moment when I read that scripture. Or maybe if, if you're like me, sometimes what I like to do is I either put it in a journal or I write notes in my Bible. So if I forget, I'll go back, and it's a helpful reminder. That's what God was speaking to me that day. Right, constant reminders in our lives could be super helpful and critical. You know, when we read the Old Testament, even God uh, commands the Israelites, right, 
to remembrance. He, he calls them. He commands them to remember all that he has done and all that he has said to them before as they get ready to enter into the promised land and even as they're settling into the promised land, enjoying all the blessings that God has given to them, God says to them, remember Do not forget, Deuteronomy 6.12, this is what God says to his people. He says, then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. The crazy thing is, you know the book of Deuteronomy, that word Deuteronomy actually could translate it as the repetition of the law. Right before they go into the promised land, you know, God reminds them with the whole book of Deuteronomy of everything that he said and commanded them because he felt that was so crucial and important for them to bring to remembrance all that God has done and all that God has said. You know, even to this day, the Jews celebrate Passover every year to commemorate or to remind themselves of how God has delivered them out of the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Even on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus Christ took the bread and the cup and he told his disciples every time when you take of this, do it in remembrance of me. The reason why we here at Rooftop Church, we practice the sacrament of communion every month is so that we are reminded of the high price that Jesus has paid for the forgiveness of our sins. You see, we see even in the Old Testament, the moment that the Israelites forget about the Lord, the moment that the Israelites lose sight of all that God has done for them or what God has commanded them, we see them walking away from God and following after the ways of their pagan neighbors. And I believe in the same way, church, the moment we forget or the moment that we lose sight of the high price that Jesus has paid for the forgiveness of our sins, we are also in danger of walking away from Jesus and living life as we will and not as He wills. You see, reminders can be helpful to keep us on the right track. Or it can be helpful in a way of getting us back on it. And I believe this is the reason why Apostle Peter wrote this letter. Again, it's to awaken the believers by reminding them of truths that have been spoken to them already. But what are these truths? What are these truths that the Apostle Peter is reminding the believers of? You know, throughout Second Peter, the Apostle Peter is going to be reminding them of several truths, but in our passage today, he says in verse 12, he says, therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things. But what are these things referring to? These things are in reference to everything that the Apostle Peter said in verses 1 through 11. Before he hits verse 12, all these things that the Apostle Peter is reminding them of here in our passage is everything that he said in verses 1 through 11. Last Sunday, um, I was going to call him the Apostle Pastor Scott, but he's not the Apostle. He's Pastor Scott has shared with us last Sunday from verses 1 through 4 about the sufficiency of Christ, 
of how in Christ we have everything that we need for life and godliness. And then in verses 5 through 11, the Apostle Peter then talks about or gives a call to a call to godliness and personal holiness, saying of those who belong to the faith of Jesus Christ are now called to pursue godliness and personal holiness, becoming more like Jesus. See what he says here in verses 5 through 7. He says this, now for this very reason, Right? The fact that we have been saved, the fact that Jesus has become our righteousness, the fact that we have divine power in Christ for life and godliness, the fact that we can partake now in the divine nature and becoming more like Jesus, the fact that we have been delivered from our sinful habits and, 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 and the power of sin. He says, now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge. In in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. And you see here, church, this was nothing new to the believers that Peter was writing to. This is exactly what the apostle Peter wrote to them in the first letter. And just to refresh our own memory, this is what he writes in 1 Peter, verses 15 to 16, chapter 1. He says this, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Again, he's reminding them of something that has already been spoken to them. And here he's saying once again, as those who have experienced the saving faith in Jesus Christ and now have access to his divine power in Christ, we are now called to pursue godliness and personal holiness. Church, this pursuit of godliness and personal holiness should be the greatest pursuit in our lives here on earth. It should be greater than any personal pursuit of achievement, goals, and even our own personal desires. And the pursuit of godliness and the pursuit of holiness is not to do so much with behavioral modification or having a list of do's and don'ts, but it's a call for us to be changed and be transformed from the inside out. It's, to, it's, it's, it's a call for us to be changed in our character. It's for us to grow, to mature in our faith in Jesus Christ and becoming more like Jesus. And when we read again in that verse, in, in, in verse 14, he says, you know, to be, we are to be diligent in this pursuit. And this word diligent simply means make every effort to pursue godliness and holiness. You see, godliness and holiness, it just doesn't happen, right? It's not just, hey, we sit there and God just says, hey, I'm going to make you godly and holy. You know, our position of righteousness, yeah, that never changes, but our character and transformation, that needs, that needs both divine power in Christ, but also needs our own effort in pursuing godliness and personal holiness. 
But why does the pursuit of godliness matter so much that the apostle Peter would mention it again, that he would remind them of this call once again? I'll share with you today four reasons that I find in this passage of why I think the apostle Peter felt compelled to remind them of this call to godliness. And rather than spending extensive time on each one, I'm just going to briefly comment on them. Four reasons. The first reason, our pursuit of godliness helps us to be effective and fruitful. This is what Apostle Peter says in verse 8. He says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says that the pursuit of godliness helps us to be effective for the kingdom of God. One way for us to damage to to damage the witness of Jesus Christ is to not be like Jesus Christ. You see, when we as followers of Christ, we say we and we believe one thing while we live and do another thing, at that moment, we can become ineffective. When we're not growing in our faith, in our character, when we're not conforming into the likeness of Christ, but we're giving in more to our flesh, we then become ineffective. It also says here in verse 8 that the pursuit of godliness helps us to be fruitful. If you remember in John chapter 15, Jesus commands us to be those who bear much good fruit, or for those, for us to be people that are fruitful, those who conform to the likeness of Christ. And so again, the first reason why is it so important? Why is the pursuit of godliness so important? It's because our pursuit of godliness helps us to be effective and fruitful. Second, Our pursuit of godliness demonstrates regard or high esteem for the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 9, Apostle Peter writes this. He says, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. When we pursue godliness, we recognize and we regard the high price that Jesus paid on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Just like, you know, Buzz, that Jonathan Kim led us in worship today singing that bridge, he has paid the highest price. So when you and I pursue godliness, we are showing or we're demonstrating high regard and esteem for the price that Jesus paid for the forgiveness of our sins. When we pursue godliness, we recognize that we have been redeemed and purchased by the precious blood of Jesus, meaning that no longer are we our own, but now we belong to Him. And with that, we are called to pursue godliness and personal holiness. You see, when you and I, we don't pursue godliness in our lives, we're actually showing contempt towards the high price that Jesus paid and made on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It says here that if we're not growing in our faith, if we're not maturing, if we're not conforming to the likeness of Christ, if we're not pursuing godliness, he says we, are, we have become short-sighted, we have become blind, and we have forgotten that we have been forgiven of our sins. Again, secondly, why is pursuing godliness important? Because our pursuit of godliness demonstrates regard or high esteem for the forgiveness of our sins. Thirdly, 
Our pursuit of godliness shows evidence of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ. The apostle Peter writes in verse 10, he says, so dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you are really among those that God has called and chosen. I want to make one thing very clear here. We don't pursue godliness so that we can be saved, but we pursue godliness because we are already saved. You know, scriptures teach us that in Ezekiel, right, God says that when we come into the saving knowledge of our faith in Jesus Christ, that he'll put in us a new heart and a new spirit. And when, we, when he puts in us a new heart and new spirit, it's going to compel us now to pursue after godliness and holiness. Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2 that it is God who has worked, who is at work in us to both will and to act or to work according to his good pleasure. In James chapter 2, James says that faith without works is dead. Our genuine faith in Christ should be expressed or should be expressed outwardly in our pursuit of godliness and holiness. And once again, we come back to John chapter 15. Jesus writes this. He says, my father is glorified by this. What is the father glorified by? That you bear much fruit so that you prove to be my disciples. Bearing fruit, conforming more to the likeness of Christ according to Scripture shows evidence that we belong to Him. This may not sit well for some of us as we listen to this, but I do feel like, hey, I I do need to share this, that church, anyone who professes to have faith in Jesus Christ, but there's no conviction, there's no compelling of the Spirit living inside of them to pursue godliness and holiness, that is a concern. That is something that we have to think about. Last, fourth reason. Our pursuit of godliness prepares us for the second coming of Jesus Christ. See what he says in verse 11. He says, then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, we can't just read verse 11 on its own. We have to keep in mind, once again, everything that the apostle Peter wrote in verses 1 through 10 before we get into verse 11. In the previous verses, the apostle Peter states that those who grow in godliness those who are changed and transformed, those who are making every effort, being diligent and being conformed to the likeness of Christ, to those God will grant a grand entrance into His eternal kingdom. Now, with that said, this is not a matter of salvation. This is not a matter of one's determined eternal destination but more so a matter of how we will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. You see, the Bible clearly states that there is a judgment for unbelievers, but the Bible also clearly conveys that there's judgment for believers too. It says in Scripture that all believers will be judged for what we've done, whether good or bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says, for we must all, who's all? He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers here. He's saying, for we must all stand before Christ to be what? To be judged. 
We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Let me read one more scripture. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 14 to 15, Apostle Paul says this. He says, if the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. Check this out. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. The work here is in reference to our labor and our life as believers here on earth. Church, I don't know how exactly our lives will be affected in the, in the kingdom of God um, by how we live here on earth, but one thing I know for sure is that Bible clearly conveys that it does, that how you and I um, live life as believers here on earth will have an effect on how we are welcomed into the kingdom of God. So again, therefore, the pursuit of godliness it prepares us for the second coming of Christ into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. And one of the main reasons why the Apostle Peter writes this letter to the believers again is to warn them, right, of these false teachers and their false teachings. And one of the false teachings that these false teachers were teaching Man, that's like a word crazy right there. Had to do with the second coming of Christ. You see, in verse 16, this is what the Apostle Peter writes. He says this. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming, the coming here in the Greek is perusia, of our Lord Jesus Christ, talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ. You see, the false teachers in the midst of the believers in Asia Minor, they were saying that the second coming of Christ was a myth. It was a tale. It was something that was made up. They were telling believers and people around them, saying, Jesus isn't returning. That was made up. It's fake. It's a tale. Right? They were telling people, hey, all these years have gone by. All these years have passed, and Jesus hasn't returned. So we conclude that Jesus saying he's going to come back and return to establish a kingdom, that's false. That's a myth. It's a tale. You know, maybe some of us, we felt and we thought that way, right? It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus promised to return, to come and establish his kingdom here on earth. But, you know, the, words, the world has been getting worse and worse, but yet we haven't seen Jesus return. Maybe we're thinking maybe it's not true. Maybe it's not real. Maybe he's not coming. Maybe he's, he's going to come way later in life. But without spoiling anything that's to come, because we are in the series of Second Peter, there is a reason why, and we'll find out later down you know, the sermon series, we'll find later why Jesus is actually delaying, f- delaying his fulfillment of this promise of his second coming. So stay tuned. That reason is going to be provided. It's going to come later on, but there's a reason for it. But why is this such a big concern? Why was teaching and believing that Jesus wasn't coming back an issue? Why was this a concern for the apostle Peter? And the reason is this. It's it's an issue because our eschatology or our understanding and belief of the end times will influence how we live here and now. I don't know much about stocks and investments, 
But from what I've heard so far, and I can be wrong about this, depending on what you think the later or the end result will be with that investment in stock, it's going to influence what you do with your money or your investment now. You see, because of false teachers, believed that the second coming of Christ was a tale, that it was made up, that it was a myth, what they started to do was they started to live life according to their flesh and self. They pursued after their sexual appetites. They pursued after their greed. Simply, they lived life as they pleased, and they pursued after things that pleased them. You know, I realized that this mindset, this attitude was not only selfish and fleshly, but that this mindset and attitude is actually also very satanic. You know, during my brief, brief research on Satanism, these were some of the statements that I read on their websites, on their material, as well as some of the statements that I heard watching some interviews with, you know, leaders of the satanic church. One of the head of the satanic temple in the UK, this is what he says. He says, Satanism is a love affair with the self. And the agent from the church of Satan, when he was asked, can you summarize the message of the satanic Bible? This is what the agent said. He said, pretty much it comes down to this, enjoy life here and now. If you go on the Church of Satan website, I'm not encouraging you to do it. I did it for you already. Just believe me, okay? But if you go on the website of the Church of Satan, one of their statements of belief is this. They write, our position is to be self-centered with ourselves, being the most important person, and in parentheses, they put the God, considering themselves to be the God of our subjective universe. So we are sometimes said to worship ourselves. Very self-centered. Very, I'm going to live life as I see fit, as I please. What matters in my life is the here and now. It's not what, what's coming in the future or what Jesus says is going to happen at the end. So if you look at this, this attitude, this mindset of the satanic church and Satanism, very, very similar to these false teachers. And so the apostle Peter, in order to warn the believers, in order to awaken them, to wake up the believers, he reminds them of the truth that Jesus is returning, that he's coming back to establish his kingdom, that there is judgment coming as well with him. And so the apostle Peter knows, he knows for sure that the second coming of Jesus is going to happen. And he has this assurance because of what he experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration. Let me read to you verses 16 to 18. Peter writes this. He says, But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received, when Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. It says here that Peter was an eyewitness on the Mount of Transfiguration. 
And it's on this mountain on transfiguration where Peter and two other disciples, James and John, saw Jesus in his glory, and they heard the Father speak. But what's the significance? What's the connection between the Mount of Transfiguration and the second coming of Jesus Christ? Why does Peter even bring this up? You see, right before Jesus is transfigured, he tells the disciples something. He tells the disciples that, he says to them, before you die, some of you will see the kingdom in power. Some of you will see the kingdom in power, the kingdom glory. And you read this in all three accounts of the gospel. In Mark and Matthew, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus said this, says this in all three accounts of this Mount of Transfiguration. It says, some of you will not die until you see the kingdom of God in power. And we see that right after he says that, a couple of days pass, Scripture says, and that Jesus takes Peter, James, and John onto the mount. And it says that Jesus is transfigured, meaning he, they, they get a foretaste of the glory that Jesus is going to come in when he returns to establish his kingdom here on earth. They saw it. They got a glimpse of it. They got a foretaste. God the Father gave them say, hey, when Jesus said he's returning, I'm giving you a taste of that right now. So you are fully assured that when he promised he's coming back, he's coming back. You see, the eyewitness experience that Apostle Peter says here, it gave him full assurance of Jesus's Return, And he wants to remind the believers of saying, hey, it doesn't matter what the false teachers are saying. Don't fall into that baloney. Don't fall into that false teaching. Jesus is coming. He's going to return in glory when he comes to establish his kingdom here on earth. And I want to share a final story with you uh, today. You know, while I was preparing this and I'm, I'm reading this kind of verses 16 to 18, you know, reading about the Mount of Transfiguration and the coming and the assurance of Jesus' second coming. I was reminded of when I think I was in first or second grade, very, very young, my mom was teaching me the, the multiplication tables or the times table, right? And I think she purchased these flashcards at the uh, teacher supply store. I don't know if I share with you, but I had real hatred uh, towards the teacher supply store because my mom would go there in the summertime, buy workbooks, flashcards, and, and I really said, when I grow up, I am going to tear this place down, right? Um, anyways, um, during the summertime, my mom would uh, teach me uh, a times table each day, right? We'll go through the one, the twos, the threes, the fours, the five, six. I think we went all the way up to, to the nines. And, and again, remind you, I'm like in first grade here, second grade. I don't know if she's trying to get me ahead. Maybe, maybe I don't know if, do, do kids learn the times table at first grade? I'm not too sure, but she felt like she needed to teach me. Right, so I'm going through these timetables, and, and you know, every time I get it wrong, she has a ruler in her hand, um, and she hits me every time I got it wrong. And one day, I forget what number it was. I was thinking like, oh, it was the fives, but fives are simple, right? So I don't think it was the fives. It's probably one of the higher numbers. One day, I remember mom saying, "Okay, we're going to go over this number today." And I said, "Okay," and I remember like getting a lot wrong, 
Like, I'll practice it, I'll practice it, and she'll test me, and I keep getting it wrong, and she keeps, like, keeps uh, hitting me with the ruler, and I'm crying and crying. And I think I got so fed up, first or second grade, I got so fed up, I was like, Mom, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it, right? So I kind of rebelled a little bit. And then I remember my mom pulled out the dad card. He said, okay, then I'm going to tell your dad when he gets home. And I remember at the moment, you know, I'm crying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, can't tell my dad, right? I need to practice this. So I remember going over that, that table and the, and the number, and I'm practicing and practicing, and I finally get it. And I finally get it, and, and I get everything correct, right? And my dad comes home after work. And I remember to this day, I got tears in my eyes and I'm crying. And my dad comes into our family room and I look and I'm like, Dad, Dad, I did it. I did it. I, I, I memorized and I figured out the times table and I got everything correct. And I remember my dad looking at me and smiling, right, smiling. And he said, Tav, he probably, probably called me by my Korean name, but he said, Tav, like, good job. And I remember when I look back, like, it wasn't because, like, I was just scared or it wasn't the fact that he didn't punish me because, you know, I I got everything right. But what really kind of lingered and and just really just as a memory that left in my mind was his smile, his word of even affirmation of saying, like, Tab, you did a great job. Good job. And I was reminded of, dang, Jesus is returning. He's coming back. And he says, when I come, my reward is with me. And it's not the fact of like, oh man, am I not gonna do well or bad or I'm gonna make a mistake, but it's it's this goal and this objective of, I want God to look at me, I want Jesus to look at me and say, great job. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, in closing today, I wanna remind you, church, once again, Jesus is returning. He is coming back. With that in mind, maybe some questions for us to reflect upon. Have we been living with the end in mind? Or have we been focused on just the here and the now and the self? Have we been living life with the end in mind? Have we been living in preparation for the second coming of Jesus Christ? Have we been pursuing holiness, or have we been pursuing happiness? Have we been pursuing to please Jesus, or have we been pursuing what pleases us? Maybe church, through this message, Jesus is trying to wake you up, to wake me up from our spiritual slumber and our spiritual complacency by reminding us once again that he is coming back. He is returning to establish his eternal kingdom here on earth. Maybe we've been pursuing after our own plans. Maybe we've been pursuing after, you know, what what we can gain here on this earth or what, what can make our life more comfortable and convenient more than we've been pursuing after godliness and personal holiness. 
Maybe Jesus is, is nudging at us today through the Spirit and His Word and saying, hey, time to wake up. Time to wake up. Pursue godliness. Pursue holiness because I am coming back. And church, with that said, you know, I want to encourage you, start with what you know. Maybe you say, you know, P-Tav, like, yeah, it's been a while. I don't think I've been pursuing godliness. I don't think I've been pursuing holiness. I've been pursuing my own life and my own goals and plans and kind of left Jesus out of it. How do I get back on track? And to that, I say, start with what you know. Maybe come to Jesus today and just, just be honest and confess and say, Jesus, I've been pursuing after my own self. I've been pursuing after my own desires. I haven't been pursuing you. I haven't been pursuing godliness and holiness. God, forgive me. Right? And, and even say and remind yourself again what Pastor Scott shared last Sunday. We have his divine, powerful life and godliness. And as we confess before God, we can request to God and say, God, will you empower me to pursue godliness and holiness? Maybe it's a simple prayer that we need to lift up to God right now and say, God, I need you. Maybe it's getting back into the Word of God, spending time in reading and, and hearing what He has to say to us. Maybe it's a time of worship. We go into our room or we go into our cars and, and we turn on some worship music where we can spend time with God and allowing God to strengthen us, to renew us and restore us, to once again get us on the track of pursuing godliness and holiness. Whatever it is that you know, I remind you and I encourage you today, take those first steps and pursue those things as you focus on or fixate your purpose on pursuing godliness and holiness. And just as a final reminder again, let me just remind you of the four reasons of why pursuing godliness and personal holiness is important. One, our pursuit of godliness helps us to be effective and fruitful. Number two, our pursuit of godliness, it demonstrates regard or high esteem for the forgiveness of our sins. Number three, our pursuit of godliness shows evidence of our genuine faith in Jesus Christ. And last, our pursuit of godliness prepares us for the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray.